Well, today we're wrapping up a series that is leading up to Easter Sunday. It's a series called The Rescue. This is God's story of rescuing humanity. And, uh, and today we're hitting a little bit of a difficult subject on conquest or war. As we read the Bible, we see a lot of conquest. We see a lot of war. And that has been true of, of all of human history. And, and God's plan is that it not stay that way. He's got a better plan that we'll talk about today. I'm going to show you some difficult numbers. 268. That is the number of years throughout the entire course of human history where mankind has experienced relative peace. Four to 5,000 years of recorded human history, only 268 of those years have been at relative peace. We are a people of warfare. 300,000, this is the number of child soldiers that exist on the earth right now today. 300,000 child soldiers, some as young as eight years old. 893,000, this is the number of Americans that have been killed by war in our country's young history. Two million, this is, as far as I'm concerned, the most stark number. This is the number of children killed by the impact of war on average every decade. Two million children every decade killed by the impacts of war. Sometimes we think of war as, as soldiers going overseas and fighting soldiers. The impact is far, far greater than that. 300 million, this is the number of children at risk right now in war zones, in conflict zones. This is a large percentage of the children on earth are at risk in war zones. Let's settle on this number a little bit, 1 billion. That's the high estimate on the number of human beings killed over the course of human history by war, 1 billion people. The point of these numbers is, is to get war and conflict set in our hearts. For those of you who may have lost loved ones in the war or have a, a relative who has been injured by war, you understand this a little more than the rest of us do. So it's difficult for us to think in this way. For, for some of us, in fact, for most of us, in fact, the number is 77% of Americans, whenever America goes into a war, 77% automatically support it. It's America, we're big, we're mighty, we're strong, go get them. That's kind of the that's the human condition. Is, you know, go get them. Go get something, right? Go, go kill people, destroy things. Let's do something good. We're Americans. 77% just automatically support war in America. We've got to think a little bit more deeply about this. It's not that there's a total pacifistic understanding in God's word, but we've got to take this very seriously. This is a deep human condition problem that we are a species of violence and warfare and conquest. It's been true from the beginning. It is true today, and God wants something different. What we can learn immediately is that we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from ourselves. We see this in God's word, that we just keep hurting each other and hurting each other, and there's cultures of corruption and, and using people, abusing people, uh, of injustice and violence and warfare, and we see that all the way through the Bible as well. The Bible does not sugarcoat how raw and wrong the human condition is, but then God is dedicated to rescuing us, rescuing us from ourselves. The theme of this series is that something wonderful is happening here. Something is wonderful, wonderful is happening by God's work right here and right now to rescue this world, and we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. When we talk about God's word, it's not just what happened in ancient history. When we talk about God rescuing the world, we're not just talking about 2,000 to 4,000 years ago. We're talking about right now, this story continues. Right now, God continues to rescue the world, and he does it through us. This has been the theme of this series. So here's the outline of the Old Testament and the general story of what's taking place. First, we see that the creator puts us in charge. God created the heavens and the earth, made man in his own image, very uniquely made. He says, you're in charge. You have dominion over the earth. You subdue it. 
we turn the page to page two and we discover that we destroy the world that God created. And we use our dominion over God's world to ruin it. We see that in the pages of Genesis 3 through 11. Four stories of just how humankind destroys this good world. Third, we see tribalism in Genesis 12 through 50 as God raises up the Hebrew tribe and calls them uniquely, gives them a culture, gives them law and order. That tribal system didn't work. They end up in slavery in Egypt, Genesis 12 through 50. Then we see God giving them law, and the law, the rules and regulations, kind of a fear-based, threat-based rules and regulations to keep them civil, and we see that in the pages of Exodus through Deuteronomy, and this didn't work either to rescue the world. In fact, we see in Hebrews 7 that the law, this is the Ten Commandments, uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law is now set aside because it's weak and useless. The law made nothing perfect. So a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. That's what Easter is all about. A better hope by which we draw near to God. A better hope that is not about tribalism and just getting us in safe zones separate from the world. It's a better hope that's not religious rules and expectations that tend to divide people and divide people from God. And today we'll see that it's not about conquest. The Bible from Joshua through Malachi, the Old Testament books of the Bible. We're talking about uh, Joshua, Judges. We're talking about uh, the Kings and Chronicles. We're talking about even the period of the prophets where they're always managing God's people in the context of war. We see a culture of conflict throughout the Old Testament. And, and, and this is part of the criticism of the Bible as well. We see a lot of people uh, repelled from the Bible because it is so incredibly violent. In fact, one of, the, one of the key criticisms is, is there's so much violence in the Old Testament. How could God be a God of love? How can God be a God of peace, as you say, Christians, when we see so much violence in the Old Testament? And that is a fair question. We shouldn't just dismiss that. We have to address it. We've got to tackle it, and we will today. So we see this transition from a people um, fleeing from slavery in Egypt to a people of war, and we see that in, in the transition from Moses being more of a priestly leader to Joshua being a warrior leader. Here's how it goes in Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. And then the war begins. As the people of Israel cross the Red Sea into the Sinai Peninsula, they cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, the land they came from, but the land they left uh, to seek the comfort of Egypt during a famine. Uh, They became enslaved for 400 years, so now they've got to get back to that land, and the only way back to that land is by conquest, is by war, and it it is brutal. You read the pages of the Scripture, it is brutal, it is graphic, it is disturbing. Joshua 3.10, today... You will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, uh, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. These are all the ites of the land of Canaan. And, and these were small townships. When we think of war, we might think of uh, vast armies, vast weaponry. Here you have more tribal warfare. You have a very large uh, Jewish tribe that came out of slavery, but they're not trained in fighting. They may have some weapons, but they're heading into these small townships to retake the land. So it's really sort of uh, tribal warfare at the lowest level, but still there are deaths by the thousands. It is brutality, as we say, you know, war is hell, and you read that in the pages of God's Word. 
So they go in, they take the central part of Canaan, then they go south, then they go north, they take the whole place, and essentially this is the map after um, they take the land of Canaan, now known as Israel. They divide up the land into 12 uh, sections, really 11 sections, 11 tribes of Israel plus the tribe of the Levites. They're priests, so they don't have land and they serve the, uh, the other uh, tribes. Joshua 21, this is now toward the end of the conquest. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he'd sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. Is that the end of the story? You take the land by war, then it's all peace and cookies from there, right? Hardly. You start with war, you continue with war. Jesus said, and we'll see this a little later, you start with the sword, live by the sword, you die by the sword. And so they took the land by sword, they took the land by conquest, and the bloodshed never stopped. This gets a little exhausting as you read God's word. The bloodshed never stops. In fact, if you were to Google ancient Israel maps, you will find at least 100, maybe hundreds of different maps. Why? Because you start by conquest, you are always fighting. All the Ites tribes that were driven out, they now want to get back, so they're fighting at the borders. You have the Phoenicians coming from the sea. You have the Philistines coming from the north. You have Babylon and Assyria coming from the east. You've got constant war. Here's just three of the hundreds of, of boundaries in Israel, and they're all over the place depending on the day, depending on the king, depending on the armies. It never stops, never stops, never stops. And so we ask ourselves, as we read the Old Testament, why is there such violence? If God is a God of peace, if God is a God of love, why is there such violence in the Old Testament? And and this is a true struggle. In fact, most people, when they read the Old Testament, they kind of abandon ship, either because of the the, the laws that don't stop or the violence that doesn't stop. But there's, there's a way to read the Old Testament that's actually very simple. You read the Old Testament Everything you read, you shake your head and think, thank God we don't have to do that anymore. Everything you read, shake your head saying, well, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. The Old Testament is a fairly depressing look at everything that doesn't work to rescue the world. But with every failure of mankind, there's a promise that something better is coming, something better is coming, something better is coming. And that's Easter week, right? That's Easter week. That something better is in fact Jesus Christ. Because God never intended this to be a culture of violence. He never intended his people to be a culture of conquest. So there's this wrestling. Why is there such violence in the Old Testament when God is a God of peace and love? I'm going to tell you a story that I think will help us figure this out. And at the end of this, you can give me either a thumbs up that, yes, the story makes sense, or a thumbs down, you're a terrible pastor, and I'm more confused than ever. You ready? Here we go. I've got a pastor friend of mine. He's actually associated with Rancho. He is a sheriff's deputy, and he's working in the prisons. He was given charge over the mental illness ward of a high security prison. Doesn't that sound like a fun job, right? Of all the things you can do in life, hey, how about you supervise the mental illness ward in a high security prison? I want you to imagine how violent that place might be. I want you to imagine how gross and putrid that place might be. I want you to imagine how inhumane that place might be because everything you imagine is true in that ward. This buddy of mine goes in there and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this place around. He has a military background. We're going to clean everything. Everything's going to be straightened out. He used his own money for cleaning supplies and to help make the, the place smell better because it always smelled like human feces. It, and, and he elevated dignity. He elevated respect. He was dropping violence, dropping violent interactions between inmates, dropping violent interactions between law enforcement and, and inmates. He elevated the place. Two questions for you. Did things get better? The answer is 
Yes, <laughs> they did. Is it now entirely violence-free? What's the answer? No. When we read the Old Testament, we can read the Old Testament something like that. God is intervening in a human condition that is terribly violent. He's intervening. He's injecting himself in the story, and the story of mankind is horrifically violent. So God is intertwining his story with our violent story. So yes, there's violence in the Old Testament. All of it is intended to bring humanity to a place that is violence-free, to bring this peace that God offers all of mankind, right? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That was, was promised at the birth of Christ, and God is determined to bring that to reality. And so, yes, God is intertwining and intervening his story in the violent story of human history, but all towards the goal of making it better, cleaning the place up, making it orderly, elevating dignity, and elevating respect. Does that story make sense in terms of understanding the Bible? Just help me out here. All right. No? Anybody? Just like that? I'm more confused? Okay. All right. Email me something. What was the result of conquest? What was the result of a culture of warfare, violence, bloodshed, and conquest? Here's what ended up happening with the nation of Israel. 722 BC, the Assyrians invaded the north, decimated the 10 tribes of the north, never to be seen again. uh, uh, (laughs) 597 BC, Babylonians invade the south. They take the two tribes of Israel captive into exile. About 100 years later, they're back in their land, but always under the oppression of conquering empires, with the exception of a few decades. So for 500 years before Christ, they're constantly under the thumb of conquering empires, Persians, Greeks, Romans. So during the time of Christ, they're under Roman oppression. The Romans were conquerors, bloodthirsty. They had this sense that the gods had destined them to rule the world. And so they're conquering nation after after nation, including Israel. So when Jesus is born, he's born into a conquered people under the brutal oppression of a conquering Roman Empire. And so the the Jewish people have a memory of conquering. They have a memory of invading. They have a memory of oppressing. That's their memory. And to them, that's a good memory. Remember the time hundreds of years ago? Remember those stories? You know, you know the songs we sing around the campfire of how powerful Israel was, how powerful our armies were, how many people were killed, how many streets were filled with blood because of our swords. Remember when our boundaries were expanded to the maximum and they're high-fiving. Remember when we were the conquerors? Now we're the conquered. And they thought to themselves, our salvation is to be conquerors once again. Our salvation is to be the ones to spill blood, not to have our blood spilled. This was their idea of salvation. So here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. And Jesus turns that whole paradigm upside down. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 says this about conquering. If Joshua the conqueror had succeeded in bringing rest or peace, God would not have spoken about another day of rest. So in the Old Testament, there's always this idea there's a day of rest, but there's all this conquering taking place. Well, one day we're going to conquer enough territory to be at rest, right? Isn't that how it works? Never how it works. God promised a different rest, different than conquering. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God, a special rest still waiting for the people of God. There is a special rest, a real rest, rest waiting for the whole world. God's promised it. And it doesn't come through conquering. Real rest, real peace doesn't come through conquering. So here we have Palm Sunday. We're at Palm Sunday today. 
It's the day that we celebrate Jesus riding in to Jerusalem at the beginning of the Passover week. Now, I want to tell you something about Passover. Passover is a Jewish celebration that celebrates bloodshed. It's a celebration of bloodshed. It is a celebration of violence. It is a week where they celebrate the killing of every firstborn male child in Egypt. That's what they're celebrating at Passover. They're celebrating the slaughter of thousands of animals and their blood being uh, put on the doorpost in order to have the angel of death pass by. That's Passover. It is a culture of bloodshed, violence, war, and, and conquering. That's Passover. During Passover, the people of Israel were so amped up about conquering and getting rid of the Romans that the Romans sent garrisons of soldiers into Jerusalem to calm the Jews down because here's this Passover week. We beat, Israel, uh, beat um, uh, Egypt by the shedding of blood. We're going to beat uh, Rome by the shedding of blood. And Passover is the week where everybody gets amped up. Everybody comes to Jerusalem. So there's huge numbers of people. They are bloodthirsty. They're ready for war. And so Rome sends in the soldiers to calm it down. And their, their threat is bloodshed. They flog people in the streets. They crucify people on the roadsides. That's the scene. Horrifically violent. Jesus, at the same time, is drawing tens of thousands of people to himself. He's this miracle worker. He's this great orator. He, he's this one considered to be a, a rabbi, and he has a whole new way of, of approaching people. And he has people coming from the streets and the sick and the poor. So he's got this great, quote, army amassed. And, and the people are thinking, okay, it's Passover week. We're all here. Rome has brought their soldiers. We're going to attack. This king is going to rise. This is the time for Israel to become the conquerors again. And Jesus might be our king. He might be the savior that will cause us to take the sword against Rome. Here's how it goes down in John chapter 12. A large crowd of Passover visitors. This is a huge crowd. Bloodthirsty. They took palm branches and went down to the road to meet Jesus. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. And what were they thinking? This is the general that is going to have us take up swords against Rome. So what does Jesus do? He finds a donkey. A donkey. And rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. And the disciples did not understand and what's there to understand? The whole place is alive with bloodthirsty violence. The whole place is ready for a new king to come, have them take up arms and defeat the Roman soldiers by violence. And what does Jesus do? He rides in on a donkey. This is not a good look for a general. If you're a general, you ride in on a stallion, right? That's how you do it. That's how you ride a horse. Take notes. You ride in on a stallion and you, let's take this thing. He rides in on a donkey. The horse is an animal of war. The donkey is an animal of peace. And what did Jesus choose? In that moment, is he going to choose the horse or is he going to choose the donkey? If he chooses the horse, his followers take up swords and they march to war. If he chooses the donkey, they lay down their swords and they choose peace. Jesus chose the donkey. Days later, Jesus is about to be arrested. And I mean, the tension in the streets is white hot. 
And the soldiers are sent to arrest Jesus because they think he's so popular he's going to raise up an army. And so what does Peter do? Peter draws a sword and goes for the neck of a soldier, lops off an ear. And what does Jesus say? Put away your sword. Put away your sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. You heard that? That came from Jesus. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Put it away. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if there's ever a time for a just war, for just bloodshed, this might be about it. Jesus is the perfect, righteous, innocent, blameless, holy son of God being attacked by an army. If there's ever a time for just bloodshed, it's protecting the son of God. And Jesus says, no, don't protect me. I come to bring a whole new paradigm You've read about a culture of violence in, in, in your holy scriptures in the Old Testament. You've read about it. Where did that get us? It got us right here, oppressed by Rome. I'm coming to bring a whole new paradigm. It's a whole different kind of a kingdom, not a kingdom of conquest, not a kingdom of war, but a kingdom of peace. I'll tell you a little story here. Years ago, I don't know how many years ago, at least five, maybe seven, uh, my family and I were on an RV trip, a long summer RV trip through the eight western states. It's kind of our thing. And uh, so we're, we're driving our, our truck and trailer into a city. I don't remember the state. I don't remember the city, but I remember the scene very vividly. There was two roads that merged into the main street of this small city. And as these two, uh, two lane roads merge, those four lanes quickly merge into two. And so it's kind of chaotic and there's green lights all the way down. So traffic's moving kind of at a good pace and four busy lanes are merging into two. Well, I've got a, a truck and a 40-foot trailer. That neither accelerates nor decelerates pretty quickly. So, you know, when you're driving something like that, it just kind of is what it is. You slow down pretty slow and you speed up pretty slow. And so in a merge situation, everybody kind of defers to the, to the bigger vehicles because, you know, you can't speed up or slow down pretty quick. So the guy to my left was in a beater of a pickup truck and we were merging. Our two lanes were going to merge. I couldn't go to the right. There's too much traffic. He decides to gun it and he's going to beat me. Problem is, he had a, a 1977 uh, Ranger, and it wasn't going real quick. I could not slam on my brakes to let him in. It's just simply not possible for a fully loaded 40-foot trailer. And so I basically, you know, you do what you do when you drive in those situations. Like, buddy, I'm sorry, you're losing this battle, and I can do nothing about it. I don't care if people cut me off. Hey, if you want the lane that bad, have at it. I don't get upset anymore. I used to. It's like, you know, don't hurt anybody, please. But there's nothing I could do. So he's tried to speed up, and it just wasn't happening, and he slowed down and followed me to the gas station. Pull over, get out of the truck. I didn't see him until I got out of the truck, because uh, if I did see him, I, I'd let my wife out. So I... I'm about to, to pump some gas, and this guy's charging at me. I mean, he parked just over there. My kids, young kids in the car, wife's in the car. I'm out of the car, and he comes charging at me, and he is at, you know, that fighter's deal, and clearly rough dude, probably high on something. His fists are up. He is red, and he is swearing at me, and he's charging. He's going to hit me in my face. Now, several things are, are, are rolling through my head. First, I'm going to be beaten to death in front of my wife and kids. Second... I am not a fighter. I have never, this is so foreign to me. I am a lover. I mean, people, please, really, you know? And I'm no fighter. I'm going, I'm going to go, go down. I thought to myself, okay, what am I going to do in this situation? I've never even imagined something like this. I've seen a lot of Bruce Lee 1980 karate movies. Maybe I can pull something out. That's probably not going to work. Everything in my mind was, was not working out in my head as, as this guy's kind of charging for me. So I thought, you know what, out of pure self-preservation, so I want to be clear, there was nothing spiritual about what I'm, what I'm about to tell you. Nothing spiritual. It's purely how do I not get hit in my face, and I chose what I thought would be the best odds. 
So my hands were kind of going up because I did not, I was just going to be doing this, just so, just so you know. <laughs> my hands went up for, for defense purposes, and I was you know, kind of tensing, and I thought, okay, this is, that's not going to go well. Hands down, put a smile on your face, and speak friendly. And that's what I did. Now, I was very nervous, but I just, hey, hey, bud, you know, what's up? I saw what happened back there, and man, I am really sorry. If I could have slowed down, I totally would have, and I'm sorry for what happened. So here's this guy just charging, and then he starts slowing down. He's still really mad, but here's this friendly face. I don't think he's ever hit a, a face that looked like this. <laughs> and I wanted him to have that choice. I wanted him to have the freedom. You, you can hit this if you want, but it, this is not going to go away, my friend. I'm just so sorry for what happened. And dude, if I, and I even looked to the right and I couldn't go to the right, and man, I'm just really, really sorry. And I just kind of kept talking and he slowed down and he was, he, he was at a go, no go moment. Now, listen, I'm not a total pacifist. If he started going at me and I thought there was any threat to my family, I would have done whatever it takes. I would have lost in every way, would have lost. And my wife would have to come out and take care of business. <laughs> but you know, I, my, my brother was a fighter growing up, and he took on some big dudes on the mean streets of Temecula, and he, 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 always, he always says, go for the knees. And so I, I thought, if he, I, I'm smiling, but in my head, I'm also thinking, if he's going at me, I'm going for the knee. I'm going to buckle that knee or hit him in the groinal area, right? So if you're taking notes, go after the knee or the groinal area, right? Just good stuff. I could run away, this is my thought. I could run away screeching, running around, but I thought, this is gonna be the permanent memory of my kids and my wife, is me screeching, running around. I just, you know, on my deathbed, my last breath, my boys would say, remember that time he screeched running around? Could not have that. So I just stood there. And uh, if you took the first shot, you know, knock yourself out. Well, knock me out. <laughs> and he calmed down. He's still swearing. He turned around. As he was leaving, he was swearing, but we did not engage. And so I... I remember that story in light of this concept here, that, that what if we lead with peace? We don't need to be total pacifists. If, if somebody is, is threatening to harm truly your family, you know, I'm not going to fault you for stepping up and defending your family. If somebody's truly invading your nation and seizing your nation, pillaging your cities, step up and defend your cities. Um, so not a total pacifist here, but maybe if we lead with peace, instead of stepping up to every conflict, we might see some results. And I think that can work not just in a spiritual way, as we're talking about Jesus, well, there's also political as well. He didn't pick up swords. He chose the donkey, not the horse. In the face of violence, he chose the path of peace. And, and if we could, maybe as a, as a country, not step up to every threat, and basically how that works, here's the anatomy of threats, Somebody threatens you and you step up with a threat or one up, then they step up, then they step up, then all of a sudden you have arms races and you have uh, increasing armies and you have tension through the roof and you have the potential you know, of, of warfare that could impact hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Step up, step up, step up. Maybe there's a different path that says as a nation steps up, we lead with peace. I don't know, I'm not in charge, I'm not in charge of that stuff, but we've seen this happen. You're not laying down in a weakness all the time, but if somebody raises their fist, approach that with a smile and see what happens. See how that might happen on a national level. See how that might happen in a, in a personal level. Not only if somebody's stepping up with you with physical violence to respond with hands down and a smile on your face, but even at home. This happens all the time. Somebody raises their voice to you, what do we do before they're even done with the sentence? We raise our voice right back. We're wired for that. This is the human condition, human nature. We're wired for that. We step up, step up, and then all of a sudden there's full-blown fight at home. Somebody raises their voice, hands down, smile. Let's talk. 
I'm sorry, let's talk. Because if we raise our voice in response, that voice gets raised with an accusation, then we give an accusation, then we call a name, and then we call a name, and it's through the roof. How about we lead with peace instead? I believe leading with peace is much stronger than leading with a false sense of strength. That idea of stepping up to somebody, whether it's with fists or whether it's with a voice or whether it's with armies, that idea of stepping up, I think, is weakness. It's based on fear. You step up, I'm afraid I'm going to get taken advantage of. You step up, I'm afraid I'm not going to get my way. You step up. So fear causes me to step up in response. Whether it's an army or an argument, fear causes us to step up. Love is true strength. Love says, you know what, you're coming at me, I don't have to go at you in return. You yell at me, I don't have to yell at you in return. You accuse me of something, I don't have to accuse in return. You call me a name, I don't have to call a name in return. Doesn't that sound like exactly what Jesus did every step of the way leading up to the cross on Friday? And then what do we learn on Sunday? That love is actually the victory. Love is actually what works. And I'm telling you, this is working right before our eyes. What Jesus started on Palm Sunday is working right before our eyes. That we are realizing that we don't have to fight. We don't have to fight. We don't have to step up. When we see that Jesus became a victim of violence in order to bring peace, when we see that the life and ministry of Jesus is basically God or Heavenly Father shouting to the heavens and to the world, enough is enough. Enough of this this, this tribalism that divides men with men, enough of this, this law that divides men with God, religious law, and enough of this conquest that destroys everything that God created as good. Enough is enough, right? And this is having an impact. I want to show you the violence chart. I'm just going to close with this. This is the number of deaths per 100,000 people globally. 1940s is World War II, one of the worst times of, of death by warfare in human history. Look at where we are now. We are statistically almost violence-free when it comes to warfare and conquest. Statistically, almost violence-free. Now, I know you can point to some, you know, Syria, and you can point to uh, um, the, the, the conflict in, um, uh, with Iran, some internal conflicts, uh, South Sudan. You can point to some, some skirmishes and some, uh, and some civil conflicts on the earth. But we are living in virtually a war free globe. Let me put it to you in very clear terms here. The average historically is 250 deaths per million people. That's kind of the recent history average. Here's where we are right now, right now. Deaths per million by civil war is 11. Deaths per million by civil conflict is 10. Deaths per million for war, with war between countries is a tiny number. It's less than, less than that. Deaths per million by conquest is zero. There are zero conquesting countries right now, zero. To go from 250 deaths per million to roughly 21, and it's declining, this is astounding. It is possible, maybe not probable, but it is possible that in our lifetime, there could be zero deaths by civil war zero deaths by nation-to-nation war. It's possible. may not be probable, but it's, it's within our reach. And, and so let's look at our world through, through this lens that what Jesus started on Palm Sunday, riding it on a donkey to bring peace, we are experiencing that right now throughout the world. The world is saying collectively, we can, 
we can experience peace nation to nation. We can get war deaths down. We can save these children. We can live with peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It's happening globally. Imagine if it happens in your own heart. Not stepping up to fight, but leading with hands down and a smile on your face, leading with love because tribalism doesn't work to rescue the world. The law didn't work to rescue the world. War and conquest didn't work to rescue the world, but love does. And we see that through the ministry of Jesus. And we're gonna celebrate that like crazy on Easter Sunday. So I hope you're here for that and I hope you invite a friend. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time together. Uh, These are our serious topics. These are serious matters that we're not just studying about in the Old Testament, but we're seeing even today as there are wars and there are conflicts. We thank you that that those numbers are going down, but I know you will not be happy, nor should we be happy until deaths by war and conflict are at zero. And we see Jesus leading the way as he rides in on a beast of peace in a culture of war. I pray that peace would not just be experienced globally, but in our own lives, that if there is tension in us or tension in relationships, if we tend to to fight either with our fists or with our words, if we tend to step up when people step up to us, if we tend to trade insult for insult, and, and, and if we try to get even with people, I pray that that peace would settle in our hearts so deeply and so profoundly that we would lead always with our hands down and a big smile, bringing peace on earth and goodwill towards men fulfilling the promise that was made at the birth of Christ and understanding that you are using us to be the heroes of this story, rescuing the world by love. And you are our extraordinary guide through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.